Hey, this is Pastor Bramwell. Thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. Today on the show, we're talking about the Silicon Valley bank collapse from the Christian perspective of finding security and certainty, not in our investments and money, but in God, our one true master. All of this and more is coming up right now on Cross Defense. Welcome to Cross Defense. This is the show where we aim to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul. And we do all of that with God's Word, both His law and His gospel. This is done by considering curious cultural topics from our biblically informed Christian perspective. And to have that Christian perspective biblically informed, we we have to be in the Bible and shaped by the Bible. And considering the words of wisdom from others who are shaped by the Bible, considering our views in concert with the church Catholic, that is the church universal, small c, that is all the saints throughout history coming from the apostolic tradition. It's a wonderful thing, and we have a great time doing it here on the show. So thanks for tuning in and uh, joining us today for that process. Today we're thinking about which master we serve, God or money? It can be frightening to think about banks collapsing. Have you been following the news? Have you been watching to see the economic turmoil going on? Have you felt it yet? Uh, We're all living through this inflation and feeling the pinch of the pump and when we buy eggs and all these sorts of things. So uh, it looks to only be getting worse. But with Christ, with Christ, we know we rest secure in God's hands. No matter what the temporal situation may be, we are Christ's people. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California, where the winged lion roars (laughs) with unashamed reliance on the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That winged lion being the congregation that calls itself St. Mark Lutheran Church. The people here do roar, unashamed of the gospel. It is a pleasure to serve them. Before we go to the scriptures to be comforted in the face of the economic uncertainty we're dealing with today, you should know that you can contact me by going to stmarksferndale.com slash contact. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com slash contact. S-T-M-A-R-K-S ferndale.com slash contact. That's what Eric did, and this is what Eric said, well, in part, regarding the show of on Walther's 10 arguments from Scripture against attending the theater. He said, the line about the actors living a lie to create their role on a screen drove me to question the lines of creativity and imagination as novelists and screenwriters would claim that These are their goals in creating their content. How do we distinguish these according to God's word? Great question, Eric. Is there any scripture that Christians can be aware of in how we not only look at streaming and the screen, but how our children play or how we regard art? Thank you for your continued service to your congregation and the church in America and around the world. Indeed, yeah, KFUO is global. We broadcast around the world. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, May the Lord be with your spirit, Eric, and may the Lord be with you as well, Eric. Thanks for your question. It's a great one, and I might add that if you're curious about the context, you can definitely listen to the last three weeks' worth of shows. We've been dealing with the entertainment industry and how we view our modern-day theater, which is as you could get from the question, streamed right into our pockets on our phones, on our laptops, on our TVs with Netflix and Hulu and all the different streaming services and the like. So you can uh, take a look at that at um, kfuo.org. And if you want to know the arguments that I'm reading and and who posed them and, and how they're actually written in the full context, you can read... Walther's 10 arguments against scripture, or, or not against scripture, 10 arguments from scripture against the theater. You can read that at stmarksferndale.com slash Walther against the theater. Uh, there's a page dedicated with this document on it. It's a long book, it's a digitized book book that has the, the Lutheran witness 
issues in it. And that starts at page 133. And you're going to have to sort through it yourself just like I did. But um, you guys are smart people. I'm sure you can get that done. Okay, so to Eric's question, fiction is not bad, my friends. Do not hear me saying that. That's not the point. That's not what I'm driving at. Not at all. It is not a necessity. It is not inherent that fiction is bad and that fiction is always lying to us. Okay, Jesus told fictional stories. We call them parables. We're going to hear of one today, from one today. Here's the context from Walther's article. 600 years before Christ, the Greek legislator Salon, Salon, however you want to say it, asked or said, if we applaud the deceit in our public plays, the theater, we shall soon find it in our contracts and in our treaties. This is what he said. Was he right? Well, it doesn't take a really... Uh, close eye to discern that it does seem that he was right. We look at, look at America. Our biggest export arguably could be said to be our Hollywood culture. We export our culture to the world and we shape the world by what we create on stage and the entertainment industry. And we, we pump it out to the entire world. And indeed, this is a problem when we see that much of it is debased and uh, wickedness going on on the screen and in the entertainment industry. And we do see, look at, look at your news, look at any media outlet you want, the one that you trust, and tell me you don't see right now on the homepage some article, some commentary, some op-ed piece about the corruption in politics. Something that speaks to the, the break in trust between us, the people, and our legislators those people who are making contracts and treaties, laws. We see it all the time. We hear about it with all the, the, docu the document scandals and the Hunter Biden laptop scandal and the, the Russian uh, hoax stuff. I don't, I don't follow all that stuff too closely, just enough to be aware. I don't want to go insane. But we see that all the time. If, if, we, if we celebrate the deceit on the stage, what's to stop us from celebrating that deceit in our contracts and treaties. Mm, interesting thought, right? I think he is right. Walther continues, Salon knew well that by representing in an interesting way the wiles and frauds of man, perhaps even accompanied by music soundtracks, right? No one would be frightened from practicing such abominable acts, but on the contrary, would be directed in their way. They would start doing them. I remember Loving the movie Triple X with Vin Diesel. You know, remember that opening scene where he steals the Corvette of the governor or the politician of some kind, the guy who was trying to outlaw uh, violence in video games or something to that effect? And then what's Vin Diesel doing? He's, he's uh, stealing a car and then he drives it off a bridge and it crashes below and he, he like parachutes away or whatever. Uh, but I remember that. That was a big conversation in my coming of age days when uh, they were talking about the role of video games on young people, the violence in the video game. And before that, it was violence on TV and not just violence, but all forms of debauchery. Look at our sexualized culture. Look at the things that are celebrated on TV. And this is how the LGBTQ and all of them can, can push their agenda is they, they capture the entertainment industry. They capture our stories to Eric's, Eric's question, not just on the screen, our novels, any storytelling technique, our music, whatever it may be, capture that and you capture the, the country, the society. So it shows really, actually, you know, Salon's question, it does show that politics is downstream of culture. What happens in the culture, on the stage, in our entertainment, in our conversations at home, this is what influence, influences our politics, which then in turn comes back around and influences our culture. Walther records Salon's question to Thespis. Are you not ashamed to lie thus? And, and Thespis answers, I'm merely lying for fun. Where the legislator rejoins, if we praise this, if we praise this lying for fun, we shall make our government most miserable. And if we love such a jest, the jest will turn into earnest. 
And that's exactly what's happened. That's been my argument this entire time. We have a, a sacramental adoration of entertainment in our culture today. We have to recognize that. You asked the big Salonian question, Eric, and I think the answer is found in Jesus. You're looking for scriptural verses that we can go to to guide our, our views. Well, I don't think we have to go to one particular scripture. Go to the concept of Jesus as a fantastic storyteller. He is the parable master. He employs this type of fiction all throughout his earthly ministry. What's the difference between Christ's fiction and the world's fiction? No matter what the format is, the medium is. The intent. The message, right? Jesus' parables build us up. They don't promote deceit and abominable acts like the world's stories do. No, they, they promote honorable, noble, good, beautiful, truthful behavior. They build mankind up. That's the big answer to your question, my friend. How do we regard art? How do we, how do we regard our children's play and the stories that they're telling in their imagination? Guide it to serve us, to serve them, to build up the culture. Does it serve us in the truth of God's word? Or does it aid and abet the devil's lies and the destruction of man? Is what we're, we're using to shape our imagination. That's why, that's, that's why we have as part of this show the exciting of the imagination. Because the world wants it to seem like the, the place you go to excite your imagination is into the world. And that anything that happening in, that's happening in church isn't exciting and isn't really for the imagination. It doesn't matter what the storytelling medium is. It doesn't really matter what we're talking about at all in general. If we're looking at it from that Christian perspective of does it build us up? Does it encourage us and support us in what is good, right, and true in the, the faithfulness of Scripture? What God would have us do? how he has ordained for us to live pre-fall, what we strive for in our daily lives. The third use of the law, right? Last week's episode. Then we're on the right path. We'll be doing well. Without the need for any sort of legalism. Free in the gospel. I hope that helps, Eric. And uh, now, on to the rich man and the parable that Jesus tells of the rich man and, his, and the fool and all this sort of th stuff. And uh, yeah, to thoughts on bank collapses and financial uh, turmoil. Wonderful stuff. <laughs> the news is full of information about the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank. Did you hear about this? Apparently, it's the second largest bank failure in American history. It's a pretty big deal, right? Lots of turmoil, lots of fallout. People's livelihoods are at stake. There's, there's really going to be a lot of uh, upending of, of stability. Our economy already is... Uh, there's a boat that's rocking, and this just continues to rock it all the more. It feels like we're, we're uh, in danger of capsizing, and we continue to feel that, that burden. We continue to feel a creeping anxiety, uh, increasing anxiety and stress about that related to the money matters of our lives. And in the midst of all this, <laughs> my wife and I just opened up a bookstore, so that's always great, right? Uh, Butterfat Books here in Ferndale, so yeah, financial concerns are real, and uh, that is to point out that we don't speak this as pastors. We don't speak these things into a vacuum or, or from a vacuum, rather. We know what it's like in the parish. We're not void of these issues as well or, or being affected by them. We're human beings like everybody else living in this same economy. And uh, yeah, it's a real thing. So what's the Christian perspective? How do, we, how do we comfort our souls with this? Or how are our souls comforted by God's word in the midst of this? Do we panic? Is that the way we should go about things? No! Absolutely not. You know that, cross defender. Don't panic. Why would this result in panic? See, the Lord told us a wonderful parable, a wonderful story to build us up for just such a time as this. Because we live lives that are transformed by God's word and not conformed to the risky, faltering ways of the world. Even when we're we're the ones that are in this 
earthly pinch. There's no need to lose our Christian composure. There's no need for our faith to falter. Because ultimately, we know our God is always faithful. Your Lord knows what you need. He knows what the nations are all striving for and what you need. He's taking care of you, Christian. Don't panic. Pay attention. As much as your emotional stability can handle, pay attention to what's going on in the world. But don't panic. God's got you, my friend. He's got you. So we're going to take a look at this parable of the rich fool, Luke 12, 13. But before we do that, before we start at verse 13, we're going to actually get a running start. It's always good to have some context. So we're going to start at verse 4. So open your Bibles with me to Luke 12, verse 4. And we're going to start reading about this rich fool, the story that the Lord told us about this rich fool. We're going to do that right after this break. Thanks for listening to Cross Defense. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Luke 12, starting at verse 4, we read, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. <laughs> I love that. Don't be worried about those who can just, just merely kill your body. Whoa. We tend to think that death is the worst thing that can be done. No, no, he says. But I will warn you, this is Jesus speaking, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Who, who can do that, cross defender? Who can do that? You hear the word hell, don't immediately jump to the devil. He doesn't have authority to cast you into hell. No, 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 no. God alone has that authority. So fear him. Put all your, your fear and your, your trust in God who can not only kill your body, but he can also cast your soul into hell. Fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So if you are going to fear something, let it be God alone. So fear not what you're going through today. Fear not bank collapses. Fear not bank runs. Fear not economic inflation. Fear not supply chain problems. Fear not threats of war. Fear not pandemics. Fear not demonic lies from the LGBTQ. Fear not anything that man can do. Put your fear in God. And then know that you are of more value to him than many sparrows. And continuing with verse 8, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you, are, what you ought to say. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
But Christ said to him, man, who made me a, a judge or an arbiter over you? And then he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable. Here we go. Jesus is a storyteller saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, the focus here is what are you preparing for? You can spend all kinds of energy and time and money and, and invest a lot of your focus toward things that are happening in the proverbial future or the, the potential, I should say, that's the right way to say that, the potential future. And then today is the day you die. Are you prepared to meet your maker? Are you prepared to face the one who has the authority to not only kill your body, but to destroy your soul, to throw your soul into hell, right? Is that the situation here? We can spend a lot of energy focusing on our investments, focusing on our retirement plans, focusing on all these things. And, and these are good things that can be used well and godly. So hear me right here. I'm not at all speaking against this stuff in generalities. But if these become our God, if money becomes the thing that we put our fear, hope, trust, love, security in, then it is a God. It's mammon. It is an idol. And it is the master we are serving. When we are called to serve the one true master, Yahweh, our Lord. In which one do we have our security? God or in our storehouses and barns. This is why churches tend to always run, you know, sort of day to day, if you want to think about it. Having lots of money stored up is not something that usually happens with churches. It's a blessing when churches have some capital, but it can also be a curse. Because is it sitting out there in storehouses and barns and making it to where we're not really living for the Lord right now? This can this is a potential. Again, not speaking to any particular circumstances, I don't know your situation. I'm giving blanket generalities here. Saying that it can be very dangerous for Christians to have money set aside as a church because then we tend to start serving that money and those investments rather than serving God right here, right now in what we're doing. Realizing that today has enough worries for itself and that today our souls may be required of us. What is the axiom about putting off tomorrow what can be done today? There's lots of, lots of proverbial wisdom about focusing on the right now. And when we do that, guess what? We end up relying a lot more on God, on Jesus to take care of tomorrow, which is exactly what he wants from us. Because he is always faithful and just, and he will take care of all of us. He is good and gracious. So I hope you heard that rightly. Continuing with verse 22, and Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Or how much more Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So if you see that the anxiety is doing nothing for you. 
if your anxiety is not able to even add anything beneficial, you can't even grow an inch taller by, by worrying about being short, <laughs> then why are you worried about it? Why are you worried about it? That's God's domain. And then he says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Mm. A society built around this idea, influenced by this idea of seeking first the kingdom of God. We knew this once. Sure, it still had sin. Sure, it still had all of its, its failings of man. But it also had a culture that bred peace, that bred security in the face of trial and turmoil. Now we're breeding panic over climate change, over economic failure, over whatever. We're breeding panic because we're no longer a Christian culture, a Christian influence culture. Fear not, little flock. For it's your, good, your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. <laughs> give to the needy. Can you imagine living this out? Give to the needy. Excite your imaginations, my friends. Provide yourselves with money bags. But do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Truly. We start to panic because our heart is invested in monetary concerns. And when we see the house of cards falling with Silicon Valley Bank or whatever your bank collapse is happening, it's because our treasure is in that bank. Our treasure is in that, those funds. But if our treasure is in heaven, man can do whatever he wants with our earthly goods. And we may be bummed about it. We may be upset about it and frustrated about it, but we won't be panicking about it. We won't be anxious about it because we know our Father has everything in hand. And so Jesus continues yet again. Stay dressed for action. Verse 35 and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Are we living this way, Christians? Are we living in a way as if our Lord is coming home immediately? Are we right now, Christians today, living as if the master could come home from the wedding feast at any moment? I recently talked with a man in my office, not a member of the church, member of the community, who doesn't believe this. He sees the church and, and the, a transition happening from the apostolic age, when they thought the Lord was going to return at any time. He sees sort of a transition occurred when the Lord delayed the Thessalonian stuff, and now the church has just been sort of trying to maintain the status quo. What he sees is a church, to, to his credit, is a church that's still uh, asleep, a church that's not acting as if the Lord could return tomorrow. He says, sees us going about our days as if tomorrow is a guarantee. We're never to live like that. We're never to fall asleep at the wheel or, or uh, you know, let our lamp burn down. No, we're supposed to live as if it's still the first century 
as if Christ could come back at any moment, because here's the reality. Christ could come back at any moment. That is the truth. And that reality should shape the way we live. So blessed are those servants, he says, whom the master will find awake when he comes. Crossed offender, may you be awake when the Lord comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come to serve them. <laughs> A reflection of the divine service, right? A communication of the divine service, or, div or the divine service is reflecting this reality, is the other way to say that, the better way to say that. Who, ser who serves whom in the divine service? The master serves us. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Mm. And so we shouldn't live as if we have tomorrow. Every day is our last day. Indeed, that should be how we live. With whom can I share Christ right now? What can I do with the gifts the Lord has given me right now? Whether we're talking about an individual or a church or a denomination, the whole thing. We, need, we really do need to look at this SVB bank collapse and see a wake-up call. The church always reflects, to a certain degree, the culture that it exists within, the world that it exists within. Case in point, you know, in the Missouri Synod, we have a synodical president. Why? Well, because we have a national president across the pond, where they still have uh, a much more uh, strong memory of the old world and the old ways. They have bishops, as the bishops used to, you know, connect with the kings and the, that whole monarchy and, and that system. So over there, they still have the bishopric and even our sister current, uh, denominations that we're in fellowship with. Here's the language of bishop where we use the language of president. That's just kind of a, a real quick and down and dirty example. But we cannot let this, this uh, contaminant seep into the church. We're allowed to structure the church in various ways, and it's beneficial because, and we're going to do that based on the type of people we are and the world we live in and the, and the structures we have around us. And that makes sense, but we cannot let that dictate which master we serve, even practically. I mean, ideologically, we're like, oh yeah, we're Christians, but practically, are we serving money? Are we serving the God of the world, the power, the prince of the air, who wants us to be lulled to sleep because we think, oh yeah, there's always going to be tomorrow. Verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of the food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat and uh, the male and the female servants and to eat and to drink and to get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces. <laughs> and he will put him with the unfaithful. Wow. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready to act according to his will will receive a severe beating. The servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready to act according to it. Severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much they will demand the more. Okay, let's take a break right there. We're at our second break. We'll be right back after this. Thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. Don't go away.
Martin Luther wrote these powerful words in his small catechism, as the head of the family should teach them in a simple way to his household. He reminded the church then and today to learn by heart the basics of the Word of God and the Gospel. I'm Pastor Brady Finner, host of Concord Matters. Join me as we get back to the basics with the six chief parts. Grab your catechism and be ready for a simple, theologically rich study with lots of Jesus. Saturday mornings at 10 on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get podcasts. Okay, so here's the thing, my friends. One of the dangers the church faces, as I already said before the break, is that the undetected black mold of the world around us can seep in. And that undetected mold is idolatry. How many different idols can we get duped into worshiping rather than God? This is what the whole entertainment industry conversation has been the last few weeks, right? That we don't that we don't serve entertainment as if it's our God. We don't serve shows and think there are everything. And we don't do that with our money either. We don't have to live as if when a bank collapses, our world collapses. That when we see economic troubles, that our world is collapsing. Nations rise and fall. God is steadfast and sure. Panic ensues when we, when we realize, or maybe not realize, don't realize, but panic comes from the worship of money in this context. Mammon. Flip with me to Matthew 6, 19. You know this verse, I'm sure. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's bring some comfort to your souls, dear friends. Christ is your treasure. Christ is your comfort. Christ is in heaven with his Father, and he is in your heart. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If you can't see, it's as dark as it gets, right? Without, without the light of Christ, your soul is pitch black. No one can serve two masters. Verse 24. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And in America, serving money is a very big temptation. We have very many wonderful first article blessings in this country. And while they are blessings, they are also the very tools, the enemy, our old evil foe, our, our old Adam even, the world likes to use to tempt us. To put our trust in worldly security, earthly security, temporal security, rather than in God, in heaven with our Father. As Christians who have received the apostolic traditions... That word tradition, that's all it means, the handing down. So you've received what the, the apostles have handed down, the teachings of Christ through his apostles. You and I were called to be vigilant against everything that the devil, the world, and our own sinful selves would have us use to pull us away from the one true God. We do this to ourselves. <laughs> this, is how, this is how corrupt we are as sinners. We are, as Christians with his spirit, to guard the good deposit that's within us. This is what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1, right? Verse 14. Start opening your Bibles there. We'll read that in just a second. You know, you know that we are to be unashamed of the gospel. 
Let this SVB, SVB bank collapse remind you of that. You are a child of Christ. He will take care of you. You can put your security in his hands. The world may think you're Looney Tunes because you're trusting in your heavenly father to get you through this, to take care of you. So what? Be unashamed of the gospel. This has become St. Mark's motto, our battle cry here in Humboldt County, right there on our website, unashamed of the gospel. What does that mean in its broadest sense of the word? of the term. It means that we're not afraid, we're not ashamed to live as Christians in a world full of people who aren't Christians. It means we're not afraid to be seen as Looney Tunes, to be seen as trusting in God to get us through even something as temporal as a money crisis. We're not ashamed to put our trust in God who gives us our food. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And we ask in the catechism, what does this mean? And we say it doesn't just mean bread. It means the entire economic system that brings us bread, including house and home, clothing, shoes, food, of course, but also devout children, devout wife, faithful government, these sorts of things. All of that is caught up in praying, give us this day our daily bread. Let the world think you're nuts, my friends. Let the world think you've gone off the rocker because when they, when they ask you at brunch what you think about SVB collapsing and what you think about you know, the, the government bailing them out or whatever the case may be by the time this show airs, they may think you're nuts when you say, well, you know, I bow my head and pray the Lord's Prayer and I trust that my God's got everything under control. <laughs> We need more of that faithful witness. We need more of that infused into this situation. 2 Timothy 1. We're going to go to 6. We're going to start there and we're going to build into 14. Flip there. Banks are collapsing. Inflation's out of control. Politicians and bureaucrats continue to break trust with us as they embrace the deceptions of the stage and they bring it into the halls of legislature and so on ad infinitum. So what? Paul writes, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. There it is. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Be unashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed that he has called you out of this world, that you're still in it, but you're not of it. That little pet peeve of mine, I hate it when theologians use this phrase because most of the time you hear a pastor say we're called to be in the world, but not of the world, right before they tell you to do something very worldly. They say, be not in the world, but of the world. They're using it the exact opposite way it's meant to be used. That's beside the point. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel of the power of God. Economy failing, can be a lot of suffering. For us Christians, that suffering means we get to share in suffering with Christ. If that's how you're understanding this, that's how you're living. If what you are doing is being shaped by Christ, your suffering is in Christ who saved us and called us to a holy calling in the world, but not of the world. Transformed, not conformed to this world, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day 
what has been entrusted to me. Who will guard it? I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. By whom? By him. By him. Silicon Valley Bank collapses. I don't know who's listening to this broadcast. Maybe you've lost everything. I don't know. Let's assume you have. God has entrusted you in, in you. He's guarding what he has entrusted in you. That is faith. Your temporal monetary needs, as we've already read from Scripture, your Father knows what you need. He knows you need certain things. He also knows you don't need other things that you think you need. <laughs> Focus on the cross, on Christ. God has given you everything you need in the cross, in Jesus. Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. Christ on the cross is the answer to the Lord's Prayer. And praying the Lord's Prayer is what you do when Silicon Valley Bank collapses or fill in the blank when anything happens. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, Paul says in verse 13, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Rewinding up to 12. I suffer as I do, he says, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has what has been entrusted to me, what he's entrusted in, in me, put in me. And so, be like me, Timothy, Paul says. You too have the good deposit. Guard it. Because Timothy's guarding it is the Spirit guarding it. Christ is taking care of you. We're all going to be okay. My friends... All these different things vex us. And sometimes you might think your pastor doesn't know what you're going through. I mean, it, could, it could be anything. Right now we're talking about economic woes, but it could be the death of, of a newborn child. And your pastor could be an unmarried single man who's never been married before, who doesn't have children, who knows the last thing about kids from a personal perspective, straight out of seminary, as young as they get. But he still understands what's vexing you. He still understands what you're going through. Even if he pers personally cannot sympathize with you, through Christ there is empathy. By reading his scriptures and knowing what life is, knowing who he is as a sinner and the hurts within him, the brokenness within him and what Christ does to that, he then can speak to you as a mother who's just said goodbye to her newborn child and, and your minister, your pastor can speak to that situation with sincerity and truth without having personal experience in that. I want to emphasize that for a moment because I personally have never been on Wall Street. I know very little about banking. I don't know the ins and the outs, and I don't, I don't know the complexities. And sometimes we get in this habit in our modern world, in our very intelligent world and information-saturated world, and we think that only the experts in that particular field can speak to that particular thing. And that may be true from a certain angle for certain advice. I mean, I'm not giving you money advice. I'm not telling you how to invest or what not to invest. I'm not doing that because I don't know that expertise. I, I stop short of that. But when it comes to the Bible, 
What I want to tell you right now is that you have a man in your church whom God called to serve you in your times of heartache, in your times of the sky is falling fear, whether it's a bank collapse or the death of a baby or whatever. God has created an economy with men he's raised up from among the sheep to be shepherds. And it's important that you understand that pastors come from among the sheep because that means they know what it's like to be a sheep. They know what, what goes into the flock. They know the fears of the flock. They can speak to that. And not just in generalities. They can truly bring the ointment of our anointed one, Christ, that heals to your wounds. So lean on your pastor for the sake of the gospel. Ask him for the gospel. Don't ask him to give of himself. He has nothing of himself to give you. Ask him to give you Christ because he has that in abundance. It is overflowing and he is dying to pour Christ out onto you. As we consider the fears of this fragile world we live in, this fragile fallen world, never doubt that God is taking care of you in real, tangible ways. He knows you're spiritual and physical, and he has sent you a spiritual, physical pastor to give you his physical, spiritual word and sacrament. And with that, I must say goodbye for this week. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll talk to you next week as we take up the Grammys and Sam Smith's performance of Unholy and what that has to do with the LGBTQ and Big Pharma. You won't want to miss that. Talk to you next week. God's peace. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at kfuo.org.